Good morning and welcome to Freedom Church this morning. We are back in the book of James. If you turn to James chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 13. It says this. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or to that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. We have already seen that James's readers were troubled by quarrels and fights and discontent as a result of the battles that are going on within. And their grumbling was especially over their possessions. And it would seem that the have and the have-nots could not get on. They were torn apart by favoritism and by gossip. And the rich were looking down on the poor and the poor were muttering against the rich. But they were all being guilty of being judgmental forgetting the work that the Lord Jesus Christ had done in their hearts, the work that had saved them, that had forgiven them, that brought them into the kingdom of God. So I, I want to pick up where we left off last week in chapter 4 and verse 13. And this, this new and rather short paragraph begins by saying, Now listen. And James has got something important to say that builds on what the first part of this chapter has been already saying. And we need to sit up and we need to take note. So as we heard last week, when we are not at peace with ourselves or at peace with God, then we become troublemakers, not peacemakers. And there are many examples, of course, of this throughout the Bible. But in the very early beginnings of in Genesis we read how Lot moved into Sodom and he lived with compromise and he brought trouble upon his family. And then King David, who committed adultery, he brought not just trouble to his family, but in fact to his own kingdom. And then there's our friend Jonah, Jonah who ran away from God, who he almost caused a boatload of sailors to go to an early watery grave. And in every case, there's this, this wrong attitude towards the will of God. They were self-centred not God-centred. And I think that, that most of us, I guess, would agree that the Bible teaches that God has a plan for each of our lives. And the Bible clearly says that he is sovereign. He is Lord over everything. In fact, he is the God of infinite wisdom. He knows how and when and where everything should take place, how everything should occur. But he's also a God of love who desires the very best for his children. And the fact that God has a will and a purpose for your life is proof of how much he loves you. However, there are many Christians who live in fear of what God is going to ask them to do. They're afraid that God's going to ask them to do something dangerous or to tell them to go somewhere that they, they just don't want to go. And it's not dangerous in God's will. However, it is dangerous to be outside and to be living outside of the will of God for your life. In fact, the safest place in this world is where God wants you to be. So in this small 
paragraph at the end of chapter 4, James points to three contrasting attitudes towards the will of God. We can ignore God's will, we can disobey God's will, or thirdly, we can obey God's will. Of course, only the last one is the correct one, and we'll come back to that a little later. But first of all, to ignore God's will. James uses the illustration of wealthy business people to make his point here. And these businessmen were discussing their deals, they're boasting about their plans. In fact, there's an arrogance that lies behind verse 13 that we need to guard our own hearts against. It's so easy for us to slip into exactly the same routine, the same dangers that these business people were doing. There's certainly no evidence that they are praying or seeking God's will about the decisions that they're going to make. In fact, the only measure of their success was how well they could accomplish their plans and get their own way. And their their confidence lies in their self-ambition and their arrogance, which James calls evil. And James points out how foolish they are to ignore the will of God. In fact, there are four arguments that he uses to explain this. The first is this, that life is complex, verse 13. I wonder if you ever stop to, just for a, a moment, to think of how many decisions you have to make every single day. Each day is made up of people, of places, of activities, of goals. And then the days run into months and into years. And just making a simple decision like going to the supermarket involves multiple choices. At least it does for me. And the decisions involved just in picking the right sort of fruit can be, can be a minefield. Is it ripe enough? Are the oranges easy to peel? Are the grapes going to be sweet enough? And that's just the fruit. The decision in the chocolate aisle is even more critical. I'm joking in part at least, but the truth is that we all have to make critical decisions every day. And how much do we allow God to be part of that decision-making process in the small things? And then, of course, there are more complicated questions like marriage and careers and jobs. And is he interested in the complexities of our life? Well, of course he is. In fact, James says you would be a fool to ignore God's will. In fact, apart from the will of God, life is a mystery. But it starts to make sense when you know Jesus as your saviour, when you seek to do his will. In fact, the world around us starts to take on a whole new meaning. And as you put Jesus in his rightful place, there's simplicity and a unity in life that brings a quiet peace and confidence that we spoke about last week. Because as we do this, we realise that this is my Father's world. And he is in control. And he is in charge. But listen, the most important decision that you will ever make in your life is the decision to put your trust in the Lord Jesus. To give your life over to him. All the complexities, all the difficulties... You give it over to Jesus Christ. So you turn from your sins and you invite him to be Lord of your life. The second argument that James makes is that life is uncertain. Proverbs 27 verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring. And the businessmen that James is writing to here have made all of their plans for the whole year but, but they have not given God a moment's thought. Now this 
is very similar to a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 12. A farmer has a huge harvest one year, so he decides to build bigger barns to secure his future. And he was so confident that he said to himself, I have plenty of grain led up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. He really should have checked with God first because God says to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And the the story finishes with a direct statement. This is from Jesus. He says, this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Listen, life is full of uncertainties, but life is not uncertain to God. It is certainly uncertain for us, but it's not uncertain for God. In fact, it's only when we are in his will that you can have confidence about tomorrow. And God will always lead you well. The third argument that James uses is that life is short. This is the second part of verse 14. I can remember as a teenager, as I was growing up, I just could not believe how slowly the days and the months and the years seemed to go. I just couldn't wait until I finished school. I, I couldn't wait until I got through university, until I got myself a job. I just couldn't wait till I got older. Now, I look back in my mid-40s and I just wonder where the time has gone. It seems to have vanished. I've got a 16-year-old daughter. How did that happen? It's incredible in many ways. When we are young, life can feel as if it's going to be such a long time. But compared to eternity, it's like a mist, a vapour. There for a moment, gone. And James borrows this illustration from the Old Testament, from the book of Job. In Job chapter 7, he says, my life is but a breath. Chapter 8, our days on earth are but a shadow. Chapter 9, my days are swifter than a runner. Chapter 14, people are of few days and full of trouble. They spring up like flowers, they wither away like fleeting shadows. They do not endure. And even though we know that life is short, we still measure our age by yearly birthdays. But God tells us to count our days. We need to live one day at a time. And since life is so short, you cannot, listen, you cannot afford to waste your days. You cannot afford to waste your life. Instead, you need to invest your life in things of eternal value. Knowing and obeying God's word, being filled with the Holy Spirit is the surest way to succeed and to know God's will for your life. The fourth argument is that man is frail, verse 16. And you can try as hard as you want, but you cannot control the future. Neither do we have the wisdom to see the future. In fact, you are a fool to think that you can take the place of God. We are equally foolish to ignore God's will. But James is even blunter. He says, you're boasting in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil. I have got a hopeless sense of direction. A few weeks back, I'm out running and I take a wrong turn. I don't know I've taken a wrong turn, but after a few miles have gone past, I'm thinking, I've been running for a long, long time now. I've no map with me. I've no phone on me. Of course, it's not the first time this has happened. So experience, common sense is telling me that I need to stop and I need to ask for directions. But pride is saying to me, 
you can do this, Keith. Keep going. Keep running. Don't stop. So, well, I kept running, thinking I'd eventually come across the right turn that would, would lead me home. I actually ended up in Delamere Forest Park about 10 miles further than I planned to run that particular day. And I, I now at least know where I am, but I still have got no idea which way it is home. And I'm standing in the middle of a forest in the pouring rain and every single path and tree looks absolutely identical. I'm lost, I'm cold, I'm tired, I'm angry, I'm foolish. It really was quite a humbling experience. And all I know is that I need something to guide me home. I eventually swallow my pride and ask one of the walkers for directions to the sandstone trail because I knew that if I followed those markers, they would lead me home. It is even more arrogant and foolish to think that we can go through life without seeking God's will and God's direction. James says, don't ignore God's will. But the second option that we have is to disobey God's will, verse 17. See, the people that James is writing to actually knew the will of God, but they chose to disobey it. It's one thing to, to, to ignore God's will. It's something else to, to deliberately disobey. And they're saying to God, I know what you want me to do, God, but I'm just not going to do it. And this is serious stuff. In fact, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turned their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. And why would people who know the will of God deliberately disobey it? Why do we? And I think the answer is found in what James already mentioned earlier in this chapter. Pride. And pride and selfish desires are the work of the enemy. And listen, it is a dangerous thing. But also, we sometimes want to go around and blaming Satan or blaming somebody else for our problem. But actually, we need to look in our own hearts because we are responsible. We must stand up and take responsibility for our own actions. And pride always leads to wrong direction, to wrong choices, to wrong praying. See, there's no get out clause with the, with God's will. It's not something we can choose to accept or to reject. It's not some optional extra. God really does know best. He is the creator of everything and we must obey him. A few months ago, I really upset my wife, Rachel. Rosie and her had painted some pottery dishes that we, we use at the back. You will have seen them sitting on the, the tea and coffee table. A couple of mugs and there's a small dish that we put the used tea bags in. And one Sunday evening, in my wisdom, I decided that I would would be a good idea to try and balance that little dish on top of a stick and then hold that stick on one finger, a circus trick, if you like. And as soon as Rachel saw what I was going to do, she told me in no uncertain terms not to, that I was sure to drop it and break it. It was, after all, her creation... And I had a choice to make, to listen to what she, what the maker told me, or to disobey. Well, I chose to carry on and with the words, I'll be careful. And to my horror and embarrassment, the dish fell and just broke into many pieces. Unfortunately, 
This wasn't the first time I'd used those words, I'll be careful. One summer evening, while, one summer, um, while I was home from university, I was helping my parents paint the hall at home. And the ceiling was very high and I, I needed to use a, a fairly high ladder to do this. And both mum and dad just warned me one thing, don't leave the tin of paint on top of the ladder before you move it. But I knew better. I'll be careful, were my words. So I would slide the ladder around the room with the paint sitting on the top step. And things were going pretty good for a while until I got into a rather difficult, sort of tight little space. And I, I decided to fold the ladder up, forgetting about the tin of paint. And as I watched almost in slow motion as this tin fell from the top to the ground, bounced once on the floor and then covered me and covered everything in paint. And what my parents wanted from me was not care but obedience. In the Old Testament, the prophet Samuel spoke to King Saul after he disobeyed God. These are his words. To obey is better than sacrifice. And listen, still, spilt paint can be cleaned up. A broken pot can be glued back together. But the damage is done. And the challenge in my life and in yours is how am I, often am I going to be like Saul, wanting to go my own way, to do my own thing, even rationalising it in my own head. I'll be careful, Lord, as I proceed with my own plans in my own way. But God doesn't want carefulness. He wants obedience. And you must, you're, and that must be the, your sole desire. Your greatest fear should be the thought that you would let your loving Heavenly Father down, that you'd be terrified that you might you might hurt him by your disobedience. And pleasing him in active obedience ought to be your goal. As we heard last week, as we think of all that Jesus has done for us, what God has done in sending his son into this world, we think of the grace of God that has saved us. Surely that provokes us. Surely it challenges us to say, Lord, I love you. I want to obey you. I want to do what you want me to do, Lord. Which brings us to the third and the only correct response, and that is to obey God's will. Verse 15. See, Paul often spoke of the will of God as he shared his plans with his friends. And it's worth noting that the Apostle Paul never considered the will of God to be a chain that held him back, but rather a key that opened doors and set him free. And Jesus said in John chapter 4, My food is to do the will of the Father who sent me and to finish his work. And the best way to live is to be someone who obeys God, who seeks first the kingdom of God, who boasts only in Christ Jesus. So whether your business is a building site, a church, a company, a home, a school or, or whatever, you need to want Christ's will to triumph more than your wants or your own plans. After all, his plans are always better than yours, no matter how well, well led you may believe yours to be. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all of your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that in all things God works together for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. And God has a unique plan for your life. You have a unique ministry. No two lives are the same. However, 
it's fair to say that there that there are sometimes it's fair to say that there are some things that are true of every Christian. Listen, we are all called to pray, to worship, to rejoice, to be thankful to God. We are all to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're all to avoid sexual immorality. In fact, every command in the Bible given to believers is part of God's will and God's purpose for your life. And we must obey. But at the same time, God does not call all of us to do the same job or to have the same gifts or to fulfill the same ministries. God's will is tailor-made for you. But first, you must know his will. I don't believe that God's will is necessarily difficult for us to discover if you're willing to obey. And obedience is the key to spiritual knowledge. God does not reveal his will to the careless, to the rebellious, to the disobedient, but to those who are ready and willing to obey him. Obedience is key. We need to get this. Obedience is key. In fact, God's desire is that you should be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. But we don't get to pick and choose. We don't pick, pick out which bits of God's Will we want to follow which bits of God's word we want to obey or not obey? Everything in your life is important to God and he has a plan for every detail. You need to start by obeying him in the obvious things that he has already revealed to you. So what's God's purpose and will for my life? Well, there's stuff that's so clear in scripture that there's no argument. Prayer, worship, holy living, all spiritual wisdom and understanding that comes from God. And as you humbly submit to his will in these areas, God's will, God will guide you and his will and his guidance will become clear in those maybe more complicated areas as well. And I think that one of the reasons why some people struggle is because they think God's will is some sort of cold, impersonal, and rather sort of fragile, mechanical process. So that if we somehow get things wrong, or if we disobey God, or, or if we, we, we fail in a particular area, well then God is going to sort of wipe us out of his will and his purposes, and that is, that's us finished for the rest of our lives. But God's will is not some sort of glorified spiritual vending machine that only, ex- that only accepts the right change. The will of God is a living, a loving relationship between God and his children. A relationship that is not destroyed even by your disobedience. Instead, this is the love of a perfect father. He still loves his children, even if sometimes it means disciplining them. In the same way that an earthly father will lovingly correct and train his child so will your Father in heaven. You need to know this. See, even when you or I sin and we walk away from God's will, it is not the end of everything. God's grace is unlimited. His forgiveness is available. In fact, there's restoration at the cross for all who come by faith, who repent of their sins, who come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, you may well suffer the consequences of your sin and your disobedience. Sin does have consequences. In the same way that little pot that I broke on the floor, it's now been glued back together. It's now sitting back at the sitting at the back of church again, still being used for its original purpose, but it still carries the scars. And many of you 
carry some of the scars within your life. But it does not mean for a moment that God is finished with you. Not even for a moment. See, his purpose is always to bring you back into his will and into his purpose for your life. And we, we see examples of this all the way through scripture. In fact, one of the most extreme examples is that of Jonah. Jonah, who headed off to sea in the completely the wrong direction. He wanted nothing to do with God or God's will. And he, he finds a quiet spot in the bottom of a boat and he goes to sleep. And Jonah has run from God's word. He's refused to repent. If you know the story, he ends up going for a death swim. He doesn't expect to recover from that. And now he's in a state of complete helplessness. But for Jonah, God turns up in the most unlikely of places in a stinky, smelly fish. And even from there, he ends up fulfilling God's will for his life. The more that you learn to obey and the more that you experience God, the more that you will live according to his purposes and according to his will within your life. See, if you talk to the average person in the street, they say that they believe in God. But maybe sometimes in a helpless God. A God who has got no control over the bad things that happen in this world. But this is not the God of the Bible. Psalm 46 verse 8. Come and see the works of the Lord. And you are invited. You are invited to maybe even stop for a moment and look at what God is doing in your life. Look at what God is doing around you. This is why testimonies and stories build our faith as we hear what God is doing, how God is working. And God invites you to experience him. And as his will unfolds within your life, faith rises and your trust increases. And God's goal is his sovereign glory. He is all-powerful. He is above all others and therefore worthy of all your praise and all your trust. And it's, if it was true even for a moment that this world or even the people are beyond God's control, then he is no longer your protector. You're simply a victim of fate. But as you experience that the sovereign Lord is in control of every situation within your life, this becomes not just a rich blessing, but you grow in knowing that God is God, that his grace is sufficient. In fact, the more that you obey, the easier it is to discover what God wants you to do. It's a little bit like learning to swim. You eventually get the feel of what you're doing. It becomes second nature to you. But you need to get wet. You need to get in the water. You need to start somewhere. You start by putting your trust. This is faith in Christ. In Christ alone. So how do I determine God's will for my life? Well I start with the things that I know I ought to do. Listen you need to start there. Start with the things that you know that you ought to do. And do them. This is prayer. It's worship. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Obey. And then God will open up the way to the next step. By experience, you learn to listen, you discern, you prove the will of God for your life. You learn both from your successes, but also from your failures. As you, you put these into practice, you put the things that God teaches you into practice within your life. In fact, failures... Well, failures are only really failures if we don't actually learn from them. 
And you must never think, not even for a moment, that because you failed in an area that God's will is going to permanently affect your relationship with the Lord Jesus. But as you confess your sins, as you receive his forgiveness, as you learn from your mistakes, you will discover that God can use everything and anything to fulfill his purpose. In fact, so often we learn as much, if not more, from our failures than we do from our successes. But finally, we must do God's will from the heart. And Jonah, again, is a good example of this. He knew the will of God. He did the will of God after a great deal of persuasion. But he did not do it with all of his heart. He did not fully love God. He certainly did not love the people of Nineveh. In fact, um, Paul picks up a similar theme in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 because his teaching on giving also applies to most areas within our life. He says this, each of you should give what you have decided within your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the Corinthians didn't seem to have any joy in doing God's will. They were giving because they felt they had to, not because they wanted to. And Paul says that's not right. Because their hearts were not in it. And our hearts matter to God. Your heart matters to God. He wants all of your heart. He wants you to give everything over to him. And the secret to a happy life is to understand God's grace and find delight and find satisfaction in him and in him alone to do his will. And it's only when you love God that you will enjoy serving him. And when you do God's will with all of your heart, you are enriched no matter how difficult that task may be. The most important thing is to have a heart that loves God and wants to sincerely do his, his will. And as you do, you will enjoy deeper fellowship with Jesus and enjoy God's blessing over your life. But God's will and his power is released as you obey his voice. And ultimately... God is looking for your obedience, for a heart that is given over to him that will obey. Listen, as you step out in obedience, as you obey God's purposes and God's will, God will reveal more and more of his direction and his purpose for your life. But ultimately, he wants your heart. Let's pray.